listening to the Taming Hinges podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of the Taming Hindrances podcast. My name's Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast. And um, this is kind of a continuation of the last few episodes where it's all kind of combining all together here. But today's episode is all about insight. I shouldn't say all about insight. Insight's our main topic, but we're going to bring some other things in here. Um, We talked about intuition. We talked about instinct and now we're going to get into insight because I think they all kind of go together. This, this whole process that I'm on right now is an adventure in trying to figure out what spirituality is. And in order to do that, I've started to break it down into a different couple different subjects, if you will. The first was what makes up spiritual nature of sorts. What, what, what defining features or qualities or, um, expressive forces exist in the universe that we can kind of classify to give us a better understanding of what, what spiritualness or what's other, the other health body, the non-physical, the non-mental, the other health body is made up of. And that involved chaos, creation, order, and destruction. And then from there, I described the, the cycles that kind of rule over those things. And this, this episode, we'll get into a little bit of the continuation of those cycles that I was talking about. But then we talked about, you know, some things that might be processes in which occur or are experienced specifically that have to do with what the senses of the other health body are. What are the senses of spiritual nature. You know, our, our physical forms have these senses, you know, sight, touch, smell, hearing. We have we have these these senses we use regularly to experience the world around us, the physical, the material. What would that look like in the opposite, in the other, in the spiritual? What what are those senses? What are they like? Are they the same senses differently? I I don't think so. I, that's certainly a possibility. It's not something I've really kind of delved into in that regard. But what I have been looking at is the physical manifestation of what I believe to be the spiritual senses. And those senses have to do with the representation of our physical senses, such as touch or feeling and, you know, how someone experiencing intuition might get uh, the goosebumps or the, the erector pili muscles on the skin might tense up and give us that goosebumps. Or we might get the, um, you know, the, the cool shivery feeling down the spine. Someone who's having an instinctual sense may get that, you know, that heightened sense of awareness that comes with uh, a little bit of like um, a tingly feeling or, or those, you know, types of things, or maybe like a gut feeling that, you know, that kind of that, uh, that what is this gut feeling I'm having? That's, you know, instinctual by nature. And these are the representations in the physical form. This is the representation of the spiritual senses, but we don't feel them spiritually because a lot of us, specifically me, I mean, I can't really speak for everyone, but I think a lot of people, we don't have so much of a great understanding of what these spiritual senses actually feel like on the spiritual side. Instead, we feel them physically. And we do this naturally. It's like a natural learning process. 
and we don't always pay attention to it. So I think one of the other things we don't pay attention to quite often is insight. And I believe insight to be another one of these spiritual senses I've been talking about. I honestly don't know how many there are. Um, so far, I've kind of picked out intuition, instinct. And now I'm really looking at insight because I think insight gives us a broader, or maybe not so much broader, but it gives us a more, yeah, broader. It gives us a broader understanding of maybe what these these processes of spiritual senses manifest as or ways in which we can kind of grasp onto like, Oh, 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 that's a little bit more of a spiritual nature. Okay. That's, that's a little bit different than the physical form. I'm just feeling it physically, but it really has something to do with this, this other, the spiritual side of things. And then to that degree, or really on that angle is the expression of insight that we use already in things that are spiritual by nature that we, you know, sometimes throw off to the side or we consider woo woo or, or not everybody partakes in. So let's start with how I usually start things. And I'm sure people might be getting tired of it at this point, but I I like the methodology here and I'm going to continue with it. So Merriam Webster's dictionary, the definition for insight There's two. We're going to start with the first one. It's considered a noun. And the first definition is the power or act of seeing into a situation. The power or act of seeing into a situation. Great. Number two here, the act or result of apprehending the inner nature of things or of seeing intuitively. Oh, here we go. So we talked about intuition at length two episodes ago. Insight here is is by definition, Merriam-Webster's, the act or result of apprehending the inner nature of something, of nature of things, or seeing intuitively. So it is the sight, you know, if we talk about the sense of, you know, we have the sense of sight, ocular, you know, intake of information, and then um, our ocular filters and our brain figure out like, oh, this is what I'm actually seeing. This is a table. This is a microphone. This is um, a car. This is traffic, trees, birds, all sorts of things. So seeing intuitively would be a a pretty solid understanding or a pretty solid definition of a spiritual sense known as insight to see into something, to see the inner nature of something, to have an understanding of the situation at whole, which has a lot to do with instincts as well. So it's almost like intuition, instinct, insight, all correlate in some way to our physical senses. And an insight here would be this sight sense, the, the, you know, to see something. So on that vein, I'd like to move on instead of delving too far into insight just right now into a, I don't know if I want to call this a profession or a standing group of abilities I'm not, I'm not sure quite how to, to group all this together, but the word I want to look at is divination. Divination, the noun by Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. The art or practice that seeks to foresee or foretell future events or discover hidden knowledge, usually by the interpretation of omens or by the aid of supernatural powers. 
the art or practice that seeks to foresee or foretell future events or discover hidden knowledge, usually by the interpretation of omens or by the aid of supernatural power. That's a pretty mouthy definition, if I do say so myself. Let's look at definition number two. Definition number two for divination, unusual insight, intuitive perception. Aha. So divination is the act of using one's insight or using one's intuitive perception, one's intuitive sight, if you will. So divination to divine is something we practice as humans for a very long time. In fact, if we go and, you know, we follow the histories of humanity, we will find some sort of divination practice, some sort of art to divine something. A lot of these are known as the mancies. I've mentioned that before. Something like cardamancy. Cardamancy is formally known, or not more formally known as tarot or tarot. There are geomancies. There's um, there's astromancy, which we commonly refer to as astrology. There's there's all sorts of different mancies out there. And mancies are acts of divination. There's T-mancy. I forget what the actual um, correct term for that is, but there's T-divining to look at the tea leaves. Um, almost every ancient culture had some methodology. There, there, there was some sort of individual in the group that practiced these mancies. One specific mancy... Uh, I don't, again, don't remember the Mansi name for it, but the, the, the name it's most commonly referred to as is water divining. And water divining was a very important thing to have in budding cultures, in, in budding civilizations. A water diviner was an individual who could take a forked um, stick or more later on two copper rods and walk across the earth the soil, the land, and find underground waterways. Or beyond that, also to find rivers and streams in the vicinity of the location. A, a water diviner is not able to do that. I find it's actually pretty common that most people can pick up water divining very easily. I myself have actually experienced what water divining is like. I, I actually own two copper, you know, divining rods and I've taken them out and I've found water sources with them. It's very interesting practice. Um, it's one of those things that I, it's like a good gateway. It's a really good, you know, like, Oh, you know, this is, this is woo woo. This is crazy. This is ridiculous. What are you talking about? And then you give it to someone and you actually let them like go try it. And it's, it's, it's fun and kind of silly to begin with, but then there's always this kind of realization of, Whoa, this is like, this is kind of actually working. It might not be a hundred percent, but like it kind of works. And, I, and I've really never really found anyone who couldn't, other than those individuals are like, this is ridiculous. And you know, they give up very quickly. People who stick with it and try it out, I tend to find that they, they go, oh, you know what? This, this kind this is kind of crazy, but this kind of works. And then there's more to that, you know, it starts with water divining and then divining rods is another step forward. And you can, you know, use, you can use those copper divining rods for divining other things, specifically yes or no questions. Um, if the rods cross, it's a, it's a no. If the rods extend away from each other, it's a uh, yes. Although you can program that a little bit differently. It's, it's kind of whatever you want to do with your subconscious, but 
I'll digress and not go too far down that road. It's something you can look into, or maybe I'll get into it another time. But beyond just that, there's many other manses. And, and another one is um, commonly referred to as radiesthesia. Radiesthesia has to do with pendulums. And there's, so there's pendulum divining. And pendulum divining is another one I feel most people can pick up with a little bit of practice. And pendulum divining is most readily practiced uh, as an individual thing to divine yes or no questions from the subconscious. And once one is able to kind of pick up how pendulum divining works, it's very easy to pick up just, you know, very surface level yes or no questions or the answer to yes or no questions, or even depending on how you do it. um, Typically the format, at least the one I was taught was you get your pendulum out, you hold it between your fingers and you swing it up and down, up and down being away from you and towards you and away from you is, you know, this up down motion is yes. And then you swing it side to side, left to right. And that would be a no. And then you swing it in a clockwise circle and that would be an, I don't know. And then you swing it in a, a counterclockwise circle and you say, I, I don't want to say. And those are the answers that the pendulum can give you. And you do that a couple of times and you, you kind of train yourself to be like, oh yeah, this is how this will move to answer this way. Some just do the yes or no. That's an easier easier methodology is just to go yes and no. But you'll find if you don't want to say something, it'll start spinning in that clockwise because it doesn't want to give you an answer. And you can ask yourself questions. And one of the easiest things to do is just confirm what your name is or confirm that you like something. And if you stay relaxed, the key is to stay relaxed and just let the pendulum move. You'll find that, hey, this is kind of weird, but it's, it's giving me answers that, yeah, I mean, I know the answer to that question, but yeah, it, it is a yes. And then if you're like, you know, your, your name's Susie and you're like, is my name Dave? And it goes, no. And you're like, okay, all right. Well, that's kind of interesting. It's just kind of a fun, interesting practice to experience these things known as divination. And we've, again, practiced divination for the history of humanity. Most wise, you know, witch doctors or the, the seer of the community, these are all diviners in some way. And everyone practices their own divination methods. From divination methods, though, we need to talk about something else. And I'm, I might come back to divining, but we need to talk about another practice that everyone does. Or at least most children will do without being told how to. Most children will practice this next thing we're going to talk about with no formal education on it whatsoever. No leading to it. No, nothing. They will just practice it. It's a natural inherent skill of humanity. I would call it an instinct. I would call it the, the practice of spiritual senses. What I'm talking about is imagination. And I'm thinking about doing a whole episode on imagination that might come after this episode. But for now, while we're talking about insight, I'd like to talk about what imagination looks like. Imagination, let's start with the definition. Let's start that. So the the definition, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, it's a noun. The definition of imagination, the act or power of forming a mental image of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. I think I'm going to leave it top level there. I think that kind of sums up 
what we're dealing here with insight. The act or power of forming a mental image of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. Now, I will rant probably on imagination in full in a coming episode, but for now, forgive me this soapbox for a second. The act of imagination has quickly been stripped from humanity as a whole in today's modern society. We often, in my personal opinion, leave imagination up to those quote unquote creatives or those quote unquote artistic individuals. And I think that's a falsity. And I think it's a, it's a problem to give that connotation that for somehow for someone to be imaginative, they must be a producer of something. And in fact, they don't need to be. They don't need to be an author. They don't need to be an artist. They don't need to be a singer. They don't need to be a songwriter, a dancer. They don't need to be a performing arts individual. They need to do nothing that involves the creative arts to be imaginative. Those individuals who are more creatively imaginative than others may, in fact, be someone in the creative arts community, but it does not mean that is a requirement for imagination. In fact, again, I believe it is an inherent ability to all conscious humans to practice imagination, to dream, if you were, if you're, I'm sorry, if you will. And the act of imagination is really, in my personal opinion, the act of simulation or simulation to, to simulate something. And in fact, a lot of people do this. Even the most rationally and reasonably minded of our, of our culture, of our society do this. I know this because I am one of those individuals. I can't just close my eyes and come up with brilliant pictures and scenes and imagery. I can if I, you know, maybe if I focus a little bit more if I'm, or if I'm dreaming. And it's something I've, I've tried to practice more throughout my, my life. But inherently... I'm not in, in my current age set, in my current last couple years of life, not an imaginative individual. I can come up with whimsical ideas and these types of things, and I do like to come up with stories, but I am more rationally, more reasonably, reasonably minded. That is not to say that I am not imaginative. In fact, I am actually extremely imaginative. I'm very good at simulating something in my mind. So I don't believe imagination has anything to do with the creative side of things. In fact, I disagree with some of the other definitions on Merriam-Webster's dictionary. That's why I haven't gotten into them. I believe imagination is, again, just a simulation. And that simulation has something to do with spiritual nature. Here's a little bit of a definition before I go too far on this for you. Is I want you to kind of look at your imagination or someone who you believe not to be imaginative. I think we would take the idea of an accountant and say they're not very imaginative. And in fact, I used to work in the accounting world. I was a bookkeeper for quite a long time and I worked for a small accounting firm. And I think there's a misrepresentation of that field that they're just not imaginative people. They're not fun, they're not creative. In fact, I find it to be completely opposite. These people are very good at imagining one specific thing, finances, money, accounting, numbers. I've seen some of the most amazing spreadsheets come out of the accounting world. And these spreadsheets don't just create themselves. They're not just, they're not just specific templates. They're usually very customized, highly effective vehicles for projecting the outcome of different business situations. That is imagination. 
They are simulating what's going to happen if X, Y, or Z occurs. And they do it at such an in-depth level that they provide a fully functional and rational, reasonable presentation known as these spreadsheets and, and projections that others can make decisions based on them. That is imagination. That is simulation at a degree that's only specifically defined in that world known as accounting. And not many people can do that. Not many people can look at a, a, a business and understand that if the market share of, you know, this specific thing changes, it's going to affect the business this way. Or if you take on this many employees and you pay them this much money, and then all of a sudden the economy turns and inflation raises, that this might be the outcome. These things are simulation. They're not known factors that are going to happen. You have to imagine what might come of these situations. And that situation could be a, a boon or a bust. We don't know, but we must simulate it. So accountants, I believe, are very highly functional, imaginative individuals. It's just that their focus of that imagination is in the simulation of things that we consider reasonable, logical, mathematical, and those types of things. So imagination to me is not one specific creative endeavor. Imagination is the function of, simula of simulation, of simulating the outcome of something. And in fact, the highest degree of that is to actually bring it into reality, to bring it into our everyday world. And that is, well, based on imagination. So without imagination, I don't think we function as a species. And it's not to say that other species are, you know, dogs or cats or lions or, you know, giraffes. It's not to say that they don't imagine things or they don't have some, you know, maybe they do dream. I think there's some research out there to say that that's a possibility that dogs dream and cats dream. But as far as imagination, humans are those who use it as a, a tool. And I think I've said before how I, I don't think humans are, I don't know, maybe I'll call it natural to this, uh, to this world because we rely on technology to a great degree. In fact, we wouldn't, ex we wouldn't exist without it. If, if that wasn't true, we would have never stopped growing hair. If we were are to believe the evolutionary distinction between the great apes and ourselves happened over a, you know, whatever time frame, and that somehow we just kind of lost our hair. There is a reliance on technology for that to exist. One of those technologies is known as fire. The other is shelter. And then farming, hunter gathering, those types of things come with that. It is, you know, we, we're we not physically capable of chasing down a gazelle on the, on the plains and wrestling it to the ground and breaking its neck and then able to skin it and eat it without tools. We need tools to do that. Specifically, we need like the atlatl, javelins, throwable weapons to take down the prey, and then more tools to skin the prey. And to get those, we had to imagine them. So I believe imagination is one of the distinctual senses for those who are more along the lines of the creators or the makers out there. Yeah, that makes, you know, that tracks. But we can also be imaginatively chaos. I'm I'm a chaos person as far as the primordials go. So I'm I'm a chaos imaginer. I like to imagine on the chaos side. I like to imagine the infinite possibility of things. I think that's what made me pretty good at accounting. 
I was able to imagine the infinite possibilities and then boil them down into, okay, here's, here's what we, okay, let me get the spreadsheet out. I'm going to make okay, this line, that line, boom, boom, I'm going to make it all kind of line up that if again, we put in X, Y, or Z, we get set outcome. That is a, a, but you, to, in order to get there, you need to start with the pool of this shit's infinitely possible. Anything can happen. The, the real estate market could go bust tomorrow. The stock market could slam down. You know, the M1 value could go through the... Oh, wait, the M1 value did go through the roof. Well, I'm, well, I probably shouldn't get into that right now. But you can have an imaginative sense of all of the different primordials, chaos, creation, order, destruction. Those imaginative individuals in the order sense are the people we commonly refer to as, and this might be a little taboo to say, but obsessive compulsive they're order imaginatives they 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 understand the function of order and to such a great degree that they are constantly in a recessive loop of imagining it so they need to bring that into reality those in the destructive sense are you know our pyrotechnics and you know people who like to see the destruction of things it's not to say that they specifically seek it out but they can imagine it, imagine it to a greater degree so again, imagination, I don't believe is stuck in the creative realm of things. I believe imagination is the spiritual sense of simulation to be able to simulate something. And that comes from a higher order. It's not just stuck in the brain because before it gets expressed into reality, into our material world, into, into the materium, we had to create the function. So if it's not coming from the materium, the translation must come from somewhere else the, because the mind is the translation between the other, the spiritual body and the physical or material body that we live in. So the act of imagination, yes, is a mental state, a, a conscious nature, but where all that information comes from must come from something else. And I believe that to be the spiritual side of things. So not to go too far into this, realm of imagination because I said, you know, I probably have to talk about it at length in another episode. I believe it's part of this whole thing known as insight. And I believe insight is one of the senses specifically that comes from spirituality. And there's one more thing I want to delve into before we jump back to insight and really get into it in full function. And that's known as discernment. Because I think the proper use of insight gives us what's known as discernment. And discernment is kind of a hot topic nowadays. To be able to discern something is, you know, something a lot of people in the metaphysics or in the woo-woo or other side of things talk about because it's important. Because it gives us reasonable function to take what most people would consider craziness or woo-woo or out there, other, weird, metaphysic, well, whatever, and give it form and function to be able to show it as a, a plausibility. So the definition for discernment, real quick, the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure or an act of perceiving or discerning something. So again, the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure, that is the skill of discerning. Well, that's the understanding of insight, right? So before we can discern something, we must have insight into it. And that's why I believe insight is one of these spiritual senses. So let's jump back to insight itself. The power or act of seeing into a situation, the act or result of apprehending the inner nature of things or of seeing intuitively. All right, well, let's break all that down, right? Let's break down 
what is this act of insight? What is this thing known as insight? Where does it come from? How do we use it? What do we do with it? What does it feel like? How, do, how does it manifest itself in the physical so that we can better maybe understand what it looks like? I think some synonyms might help here. I, I don't do this one often, but let's, let's throw some synonyms at it. Oddly enough, the first synonym for insight is discernment or, uh, you know, perception, perceptiveness, perceptive, perceptivity, um, saga consciousness, uh, the saga city, sageness, sapience, that's an interesting one, and wisdom. And I think I've talked about before how, you know, the, definition, the definition or difference between my personal definition or difference between wisdom and knowledge is knowledge is knowing the answer to a question. Wisdom is knowing where to find it. Well, that is the act of insight. So this act of insight, this, this power or act of seeing into a situation, the, the, the act of result of apprehending the inner nature of things, what's that look like? Uh, it looks like excessive compulsive disorder. It, it looks like well, it looks like that. It looks like, you know, being so into something that you just understand the fundamental nature of it. So it is practicable in some degree, I believe. I believe those individuals who are just so, quote unquote, insightful are the individuals who just have some sort of affinity or inherent want to understand the fundamental natures of things that they specifically have interest in. That, in some ways, is the expression of imagination. It, it's the expression of understanding, to be able to simulate the possibilities, but then to be so interested in those simula simulations that you start to gain some grains of knowledge from it. And you take that knowledge and you, you build upon it, and then all of a sudden that knowledge starts to grow into wisdom, into knowing where those answers might be found instead of knowing that, you know, the apoptosis of a cell occurs when, blah, 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 you know, the, the insightful nature I have into the human body that I practice in my massage practice, knowing that, you know, the, the reality of a knot is really an adhesion and the adhesion is when the sarcomeres of the muscle actually physically adhes together and it wears down the, the myofascial, um, surrounding the the my the myel the myo tissue around the the actual physical AD, ATP using sarcomere production of the muscle that that goes away and now they're adhered together. And that's what an adhesion is, and then you know how those adhesions might change the structural nature of the body or move things in different ways or what certain injuries. All of that is me practicing my insight of my wisdom of the human body, my knowledge of the human body, the combination of those two things. So I think it is something that people can kind of practice, can really delve into it and get better at. But that insight comes from something else. It comes from other, spiritual. And this is what I believe is the practice of anyone who's doing something intuitively is they are practicing other or spiritual. That's why I believe it's a sense of the spiritual. So what would that look like for insight specifically? Individuals who can just 
look at someone and have a empathetic feeling or a, a, um, oh, I can't think of the other, it starts with an S. I'll, go, I'll, I'll remember what the word is. Sympathetic. Have an empathetic or a sympathetic feeling towards another individual who might be suffering or even in elation. Someone who's, you know, just so excited that you're just kind of like, oh, well, that, you know, that, that looks nice. You know, the child who's got like the balloon at the fair and you're like, oh, look how happy that kid is. That's great. You know, that is an insight into another individual. You're literally having insight to, into what that being is feeling. And that might be empathetic or sympathetic. Insight also looks like the individual who just seems to get the situation at hand. You know, individuals who are really good in, in a, um, I don't want to say tragic, but um, um, I guess tragic, but like a, not chaotic, uh, like an accident scene. You know, we have like EMTs and firefighters, all of these individuals in the, you know, emergency medical or emergency communities, emergency, there we go. Individuals who are just good in an emergency. They just know to like, you know, watch out for other dangers. They know how to like take care of people, what to do. They don't get flustered. They just kind of react to it very naturally. They have insight into emergencies. They know to expand their their awareness to a degree that they kind of, you know, one of the things you have to learn when you get in, when you start doing um, first aid, CPR, those types of things, um, where I was actually, I mean, I've, I am first aid and CPR certified and I have been for a very long time. And I've also taken other health classes and that's like, you know, for, you know, classes specifically designed for that. But one of the first places that I ever learned about situational awareness, if you will, was from uh, the medics, essentially, um, individuals who are medics in the military. And also EMTs, emergency responders, those types of people, because I was around them a lot. And one of the first things you learn is if you can't help the situation, or you can't help the individual, you're fucking useless. So you need to protect yourself right off the bat. You know, if the medic runs out to save an individual's life and dies on the way, now you have two dead people, two dead bodies. And now I don't want to expand too much into the combat realm of things, but I have studied warfare and that creates an even worse situation beyond the fact that now you have two hurt individuals who may die. That's tragic. But now you've created two more vectors for attack and it gets complicated in that sense. So individuals who are, or trying to provide aid, not just medically, but in, across the board, you have to protect yourself first. Because if you can't give aid, you're really kind of useless in that situation. And not to say that's like a bad thing. If, one of the other things to do is the discernment of your position in the affecting situation. If you have no medical training whatsoever, and you come upon someone who needs medical aid, you have to discern the idea or have the insight into the situation, have the insight into yourself of what you should do. Should you try to provide medical aid? Well, maybe there is no one else around and you're the only hope. Then yeah, absolutely. That's probably the right answer. 
Or maybe if you have no, you have no idea what to do. Can you go get help? That's something to discern. Oh, okay. The right thing to do is so in the physical world, this idea of insight, it produces these groups or classes or sets of individuals who are very good at having insight and knowing what to do essentially in certain situations. I would define that a little bit as wisdom. Insight provides wisdom. It's knowing where to find the answer, right? And that answer might be, oh, call 911 or, or you know, go, Lassie. Lassie, go get, you know, someone to help us. That kind of deal. Not that I really watched Lassie as a kid, but anyway. Um, that is the act of using insight. But insight provides wisdom into the situation. And again, we have to kind of, or at least I have to look at this from the physical manifestation of this, the, the material world and what that looks like. So that being said, what might be the insights or how is insight used as a spiritual sense? I'm a little stuck on that one, to be completely honest. I'm a little stuck at what insight looks like from the spiritual side of things. It might be that insight is a, just the specific sense of instinctual insight, in, instinctual knowledge or, or wisdom-bearing ideas. But I believe also insight has something to do with what we commonly refer to in the metaphysics world as the third eye. And bear with me here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hopefully lay it out. If we look at the anatomy and physiology of what the third eye is in an actual physical form of the human body, most people would agree it's, it's, it's there. It's the, it's the pineal gland or pineal gland, pineal gland. Some people say it differently. P-I-N-E-A-E-L. The, pine, the pineal gland is kind of the third eye of the body for this reason. Just like your eye has rods and cones, so does the pineal gland. The pineal gland has rods and cones, which means it is capable of seeing light because that's what rods and cones do. They pick up the differentiations of the light spectrum that is seeable to the human eye or visually representable to the human eye. That being said, the pineal gland has no external factor. It, has, it doesn't have anything external to the skull to be able to, you know, our eyes have irises and, you know, we have our, um, I'm going to forget all the different pieces of the eyes now, but we have irises that open up into our cornea and our cornea, that's where behind that is where our, our rods and cones are. So we can take in external light and discern it to figure it out. We can make use of it to come up with this simulation of the reality of the material we live in. The pineal gland is capable of doing that, but it has no outside source to see. Like it doesn't have a function for that light to get internally. That being said, there are waveforms of light that project inward and through the human skin. This is known as infrared. This is known as the non-visual spectrum of light. Ultraviolet. We know these things penetrate the body. They're, because light is just 
It's just part of the electric universe. It's just another, it's a measurement structure of the electromagnetic spectrum of energy. So it would be fair to say that the pineal gland is capable of picking up on quote unquote other or spiritual things because that's the realm we're dealing with, right? We're dealing with the realm of things we can't see, can't touch, can't hear, can't smell, but can we actually, we might be able to the pineal gland specifically picks up on things, vibrational nature of the vagus nervous system. And what this all culminates into is that it's quite possible that the human body has a specific organ in it to help with what's known as quote unquote insight to help actually see into the situation, things that we don't use in the physical sense of sight, of hearing, of sound, taste, smell. It's literally picking up on things that we don't really even bother with on a regular basis. It's, it's the possibility that that organ exists in us, that our pineal gland is specifically designed to do that. Well, what would this really mean then? It would really mean if we're, okay, you know, we're grasping a little bit here, but it would really mean that our bodies have physical function to better translate spiritual or other nature. That our bodies were actually designed from the very beginning to be able to, to understand these things. So much so that the induction of consciousness is the methodology to, to give us that understanding that our, our minds, our, our mental bodies, what I call depression, that, that mental body we live inside of was specifically designed to better understand other or spiritual because beyond our physical senses that our, our physical self deals with, we're given a whole set of other organs and sensory apparatus or apparati that deal with the things that we can't see, can't understand, or don't know about. And in that line, there are the coordination of extrasensory or other senses that have physical manifestation. We've talked about the goosebumps, the shivering down the spine, the, um, the gut feeling. So if those are intuition and instinct, maybe some other things, what might insight really be? Could it be a pressure in the middle of the forehead, specifically where the pineal gland would be looking or would be, you know, picking up information from actually right between the eyes, kind of in between the eyebrows where we quote unquote say the third eye is it's possible. In fact, I believe it's possible to activate it. Um, and I've been working on a methodology in which to do that. One of those is to, you can split your focus between your eyes. You can focus with your left eye. You can focus with your right eye. And in doing so, you might see a refractory image. You know, some people say seeing double when we spin from one side to the other side. When we go from the left eye to the right eye to the right eye to the left eye, it's possible by unfocusing, we can see double. And what that double is, is you actually focusing with both eyes at the same time. In between that focal point, if we close our eyes, 
and shift between the left or the right, in doing so with our eyes closed, we activate what I believe to be the the pineal gland, to, to be the third eye, essentially. And that is spiritual insight. It's trying to discern what is going on around us without actually having visual ocular representation. I, I don't have my eyes open. If I have my eyes closed, I'm not picking up that visual representation. So maybe I am kind of relying on my, my touch sense, my hearing sense. But at the same time I'm doing that, I'm also trying to use the pineal gland to pick up extrasensory, to pick up is there is there something around me that's producing infrared, ultraviolet, or other vibrational states that I might need to know about because it might be dangerous or it might be, oh, this is really what I'm looking for. I think that's what the vagus nervous system and the pineal gland do specifically. And that would be considered extrasensory or a spiritual sense. I think this is what people experience when they do closed eye meditations or imagery meditations where they're specifically trying to, you know, think about or, or figure something out mentally. And remember, I talked about imagination being a simulation. So how we could put this together, you know, maybe a little bit grasping at straws here, I don't know, but insight is the act of visual imagination. And by practicing that, it gives us discernment. It gives us understanding of situations that we might not be involved in, but could easily figure out. We do this every time we're on the phone. I feel like oftentimes individuals are on the phone and you're talking to somebody else, but you're not around them. You may imagine what they're doing, what they look like. They might be just trying to describe something to you and you're trying to mentally picture it, right? This is the action of insight. We're trying to put ourselves in place of the situation by not actually being there. And the visual cortex isn't picking up the information we're thinking about because we're doodling on a piece of paper or we're staring off in the distance or maybe we've closed our eyes to, to better use that imaginary function, that better use that simulation function. And in doing so, we're practicing insight. We are trying to understand a situation we aren't a part of physically. We're going back to the definition here, the power act of seeing into a situation. Well, that's us from a distance, action at a distance here, trying to put ourselves in place of that frantic phone call we just got of, you know, whatever it might be, or not even, or the, or the super happy, excited phone call, whatever phone call might be. Insight is the act of trying to put yourself next to the person you're talking to on the other side of the phone, but not actually being there with them or imagining that they're there with you. And you're trying to describe of, you know, this is what I'm seeing, or this is what I'm dealing with. Can you help me? Or accounting, we did this all the time. Every time a, you know, the phone would ring, it's someone with an accounting question and you have to kind of do this imaginatory process of like, okay, what are they telling me? 
Let me let me pull out the facts. Let me you know put it together. Let me get the all right. Well, you know what's your what's your tax situation looking like? Okay, what kind of income? Yep, awesome. You know, and then they tell you they bought this house, and you start picturing this house in your head. You're like, okay, all right. How much? Three hundred fifty thousand dollars house. Nice. Okay, maybe it's kind of like oh, three bedrooms. Cool. You start picturing these things. Okay, and then you're like, oh, you know, well, I know you work from home. Do you have a home office? Because that's a part of a tax rate off. Okay, like, how much square footage do you think? You can only write off this much, but and they see so you now. All of a sudden, you're picturing a little, you know, office in their house, and then we are, and you almost like section it off, and you're like, all right, well, that's red zone. That's we're gonna, we're gonna pull some of that aside because part of the cost for that is going to go towards their office, and we're gonna write some of that off. And you know, you even do it with their businesses. With you know, all right, oh, you opened up, um, I don't know, you're selling ice cream or something. I don't know, but you kind of imagine these things into existence. But you're not there. We very rarely go on site with, you know, most clients nowadays. They just call you and they kind of reference the information to you and then you put it together. I'm going to make a giant leap here and I want you to stay with me. Isn't that the same thing as prayer? Isn't that the same function of expressing one's opinion, ideas, issues to an entity? Isn't that what prayer is? Isn't prayer kind of like a phone call? Aren't we kind of imagining the individual we might be talking to or giving, you know, reverence to in our mind's eye? That whole saying of pictured in your mind's eye. Well, isn't that the function of insight? Isn't that a, a sense of the spiritual? So I don't think it's a far leap to make in my personal world here to say that prayer is a function of insight and maybe some other things, but the act of it is kind of like that phone call. It's kind of like, you know, you're picturing the, the situation, but also picturing the individual you might be talking to. And in doing so, you're having this imaginative function. And remember, Imagination is a function of the human mind to translate between the physical and the other. So it works both ways. In fact, we're really good at imagining from the physical, not so much from the other. There are those, yes, creatives out there who are very good at just imagining fantastical things like orcs and, and goblins and, and, and high elves and fantastical magical locations with you know towering spires that float from the ground and floating mountains and islands and then you know the sci-fi of what would happen if we had spaceships and yes there are those individuals out there they tell fantastical stories and we need them in society but there's also just the normal imagination of like what's going on What's happening? And we typically use our physical references for that. That's why in dreams we commonly use things we've seen or experienced because our mind can rationalize those and make those make use of them to the conscious from the subconscious. So in my personal opinion, that act of prayer that a lot of spiritual people, specifically in religions, practice is kind of like that phone call. You're kind of using your imagination to not make it up. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you're using your imagination to, to give credence to what's happening. 
And there can be that uplifting idea of taking the weight of something unbearable and producing it to an entity or, or a, a spiritual being and to say, you fucking deal with it. Or can you help me deal with this? And in doing so, you imagine the response. Do you not? Is, is that not a function of it to imagine the, the, the back and forth? You know, if you're going to pray to your God, are you not imagining what their, their response would be? And somewhere in there, could it not be said that there might be this action of insight, which is a sense of the spiritual nature, which gives you the discernment of what should be done, how you should deal with this? And wouldn't that be classified as a miracle? that you could openly share to the universe or your entity, whatever you want to call it, all of the fucking terrible shit that you have to deal with on a regular basis. And somehow out of all of that, just fucking terribleness comes this idea of how to make it a little bit better or how to get out of the financial situation you're stuck in, how to find a better home, where you might look for a better job, where you might find a little bit more contentness or any one of those things and more infinite possibilities here or, or the pitfall you might need to worry about. Wouldn't that be miraculous? And in fact, this whole process of what we talked about earlier of divination, wouldn't that be the simulation of the processes and somehow this amazing skill to help whittle all those possibilities down into something that's actionable and might have a, a greater percentage of possibility and thus provide a better chance at a better outcome. Wouldn't that be something to, to just, just dive into as a humanity that we can have these things known as divination, these processes of astrology and cardamancy, tarot reading and, you know, spiritual mediums and, these individuals who the church has blasphemized that the over highly rational and, and logical have thrown aside, but a great number of people have relied on time and time and time again to have that conversation. And just like not everyone can write an amazing book, full of whimsical fictional characters and worlds, or maybe they don't have the time to just like that. Isn't it possible that someone doesn't have the full ability to pray to their God and get the sufficient answer to help them that they might need to have someone else guide them in that process. So I ask you who does better in that situation the church or the tarot reader or the astrology reader or the fortune teller. It may be equal and to each their own on that sense. I'm not saying the church is wrong. I'm saying organized religion is wrong. I'll make that distinction now because I make it in almost every episode that I don't believe in organized religion. I believe in faith and in all these in the belief and all these things, but isn't that just a system of finding the individual to trust with helping you with your prayers? Is the pastor, the priest, 
the rabbi, you know, are they not the individuals that are supposed to be helping with that process and helping the individual better understand what's going on to that degree, to that understanding of imagination and understanding how to imagine that on both sides, both the, the exhalation, the, 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 the exiting of the imaginative idea to the other individual. And then the response that might happen there from, isn't that what an astrology person does? Isn't that what a medium does? Isn't that what a tarot reader does for the individuals that have those belief structures or those understandings? And in that understanding, could it not be possible for a priest, pastor, or just a, a churchgoer to use those divination practices that may be available to them, such as one of the Mansies? Because they have a system they're working in and now they're just using the insight and the nature of it through another different tool known as divination in whatever aspect that might take on. It's the same to me in some degree. So why should we, why should we be against it? We should be very critical of it. Absolutely. There are a bunch of snake oil salespeople out there trying to tell you that them getting half naked and rolling around the grass with their dog is somehow going to be able to give them the power to be like, well, your puppy is in puppy heaven and they miss you. There's some definitely full on bullshit artists out there, but there's definitely some very real, very capable, very highly skilled individuals out there as well. And there can be more. If we, if we better allow that to happen. And to that point, I think it's important when we're looking at our spirituality to first, you know, build an understanding of what you believe in or have faith in or these types of things. And I start with chaos, creation, order, and destruction, the primordial effects of how the cycles work. But then to also see what tools are available to you, because just like the child has no idea what touch actually is in a vernacular of, I touch my hands and it makes this clapping noise. Now I have touch and sound and that's freaking crazy. The fuck's going on there? The baby's like, oh, clapping, that's amazing. And then like, there's these things like, like known as textures on food. And you're like, you go from the banana to like, you know, the ice cream. And you're like, Oh, okay. Then there's cold in here and there's all sorts of these senses and shit going on. The same for that is the same for what I believe these spiritual senses would be like, what is this instinctual feeling I'm having? What is this intuitive feeling I'm having? What is this insight that I'm having? This, this seeing of, of, possible, possible, you know, things happening. What might that look like at a higher degree? Just like there's someone like myself who has the, I don't know if I want to call it a mastery. If I was being boastful, I might, but I'm typically more, more reserved. I have this ability trained to a high degree known as palpation. In fact, I believe palpation to be the most important skill any body worker can have. I can palpate the difference between different muscle tissues, between skeletal and muscular, between 
tendons, ligaments, muscles, between fascia, between, you know, adhesions, what's correctly functioning. I have this ability to palpate that, which means my sense of touch in my hands in that regard is at a higher level than a, a layperson, someone who doesn't practice that. Well, what would that look like on the other side is what I'm getting at here. Someone who practices the ability to have insight of something may be very well capable of predicting something to be able to predict the future or a possibility of what that future looks like. One of the hardest things to understand when learning to be more spiritual, specifically for myself, and anecdotally I find with also others that I've spoken with, is the, the non-100%. It's not 100%. You, you don't, it, it's not 100%. You can predict the future all you want, but it might be a weird out. Like it might be some outcome that we didn't quite imagine. You know, I've had a couple of tarot readings and, and most recently I had a very professional tarot reading done. I think I mentioned it once before on the show. I'll mention it again. It's at the archive. I'm going to plug the website real quick. Timminghindrances.com slash archive. There's links to some tarot readers in there that are just like general tarot YouTube readers. But I have one other one linked specifically, and her name is Jenny Moonstone. Uh, I believe her new website is JennyConstantine.com. She's a professional tarot reader. And the thing to understand there, she's very good and I highly recommend her. The thing to, rec the thing to recognize there is when you get a tarot reading done by a true professional like she is, it's not 100%. It's just not, it's not going to be a hundred percent, but what she's practicing is the majority percent. She gets it right more times than not, but the imagery might not be completely there because maybe she can't fully imagine, or maybe you can't fully imagine what this actual outcome might look like. So she might pull different cards and those cards might be giving her a sense of what might that look like but there's still a translation to you and then there's a translation to you and then you need to imagine. So it might miss the mark slightly, but when you come back to it in the end, there's typically this realization that, Oh, that's what she meant or, Oh, that's what they meant. That's what they were. Oh, it did line up. That happens when there's a true practitioner involved. And that's the realm of things I think is the practice of insight. She is practicing an insight into cardamancy, into tarot reading, far greater than anyone else. Her skill of quote unquote palpation in that sense is magnificent. And so, yes, I truly believe that there are those individuals out there that are capable of these things. And to that point, I think it's an amazing place for people to better look into their spirituality. It's something I've done my entire life, but really never quite understood what I was doing. When I was reading, you know, my, you know, my tarot, getting tarot readings done or, or reading my astrological reports or, you know, daily horoscopes and those types of things. It's not so much that I was, I, well, no, I'll say this. At some points in time, I was relying too heavily on it but I didn't always connect the fact that this might be part of my spirituality. That yes, I do truly believe that these things are possibilities. It's the 
it's my own insight and intuition and instinct and discernment from there that I need to use because these are tools. And these are, you know, other practitioners who have their own skill set. And just like my massages aren't right for everyone, their readings might not be right for everyone. So you have to go and you actually have to put into work to find something that works for you. But to be open to it to begin with. And so I spent a really long time in my life from pretty much from day one, you know, as soon as I was able to get my hands on some of these things, looking at these other possibilities and really resonating with them, which is why on the archive I mentioned to find someone that resonates with you because that's when you can really start delving into these other senses that have to do with spirituality because I really think they're there. I just don't think we practice them there much. When you do start to practice them, you do build these intuitive natures, these intuitive skills that are just like our normal senses. My skill of touch has been trained in multiple different ways, but two, what I would call masteries. My skill of palpation, which is to discern blindly through touch, close my eyes and touch a physical body and figure out what's going on with it to have a really to have a communicative, you know, almost a talk with someone's physical form to figure out what's going on to, so I can better help them. And then the second side of that was essentially the opposite, which is my, my skill in martial combat to be able to physically impact someone and either deal great harm or to absorb what they believe is going to be great harm. I've done both sides of this. Very careful, sensitive palpation touch and also full physical combat touch. I believe they kind of go hand in hand in some degree. But there's also this huge world in between. And it's far more complex to get into now, but there's a practice in traditional Chinese medicine known as Twina, which is the massage practice of traditional Chinese medicine. And inside of that is the practice with traditional Chinese medicine that we have all these things known as jings. Jing, J-I-N-G in the romanization, is what you would consider to be an an action or expression of um, energy, essentially. So you have jing, and then you have qi. Qi is the the bioelectric field, the the, um, vital force of an individual. Mostly it's mental. We're controlled by the mind more so than anything else. And Jing is an expression of that. But you can have all these different Jings. You can have listening Jing. You can have explosive Jing. Fa Jing is the name for that. You can have all of these different Jings. And just like Jing is the expression of Qi, Qi is the expression of Shen or spirit. So you can practice all of these things. And so my practice of touch has taken on the uniform idea of Listening, Jing. I can I can listen through touch. I can also cause great harm using something like Fajing, the explosion of touch. Martial and not martial. In that same idea, someone who practices insight through divination, maybe through tarot or divining rods or um, pendulum divining. Any one of the Mansies, they develop 
that expression of qi into a physical jing. But it all comes from the qi's expression of shen. And jing can be expressed as qi as well. And qi can be expressed as shen, as spirit. So as above, so below. It goes up and down the ladder. And this is what I talk about when I talk about the physical form, the mental form, and the other form, the spiritual form. This is what the chakra system deals with. This is what the key system, chi system, all of these different energy systems that we've developed in human history for healing or combat or all sorts of other things. This is what they're dealing with. I like to call it just, I just read the bioelectric field. I do that a lot through chi practice because chi is what I, chi gong is what I practice the most of. So that's kind of where my expression comes from. But just like I can do that, and some people get crazed at, like get a little bit weirded out, that my hands might not actually be on them, but they're feeling something. The same can be expressed for someone like a Jenny Moonstone who can just read some cards and tell you extraordinary things about you or what you might be experiencing or have experienced and those types of things. This is a very broad world that I believe not only requires, but warrants, I'm sorry, not only warrants, but requires delving into. And it's part of understanding who we are spiritually. So from a personal perspective, to close, I'd like to go back and go through our definitions here and ask you some questions I'd like you to think about. We're talking about insight. And the definition of insight is the power or act of seeing into a situation. Are you insightful in any way? Do you have insights on things? Do you ponder? Do you sit? Do you meditate? Remember, uh, meditation is the awareness of breath, and that comes from the word uh, meditari, which is to, or meditari comes from the Hebrew words haga and hana, which mean to sigh or to murmur, and that gets expressed as to um, to to ponder and sigh, if you will. So. Do you have insights on things? Do you get in, do you have insightful nature on certain endeavors or situations? Is there something you're insightful about? Have you tried to practice uh, a methodology of insightfulness, be it through a, a mancy or a divination factor? Have you tried that? Have you experienced someone who is very insightful that just gives great um, advice? You know those types of things. Do you practice some sort of religious insightfulness, uh, prayer, or you know? ritual. I will get into it another time, but the Wiccans are, are very much um, in effect doing this. They, they practice insightful ritual quite often. And that practice of ritual typically builds their senses in that way, or those who practice fully. Um, we can get into that another time. But so, you know, have you experienced insightfulness? Are you insightful? And to that degree, have you ever experienced divination? Uh, the art or practice that seeks to foresee or foretell future events or to discover hidden knowledge, usually by the interpretations of omens or the aid of supernatural powers. Great. But the second definition here, unusual insight, intuitive perception. Have you ever just intuitively known something or seen someone intuitively act? Have you ever had intuitive body work done? That's my realm of things. Have you ever experienced that? What are your experiences here? 
because we're moving into, we're going to skip imagination. We're going to go to discernment real quick, but we're going to come back. Have you ever discerned something? Have you ever had the, just, just the quality or just the, the ability to grasp or comprehend something that's obscure that just doesn't really make sense to everybody else. But all of a sudden you just get it. You just, you just know it, you know, you just, I think parents do this regularly with their children. If I look at a child, I'm like, I have no idea what the fuck's going on with them. But parents just have this discernment of, oh, they're hungry. Or, you know, oh, they're just tired. Parents get that. They've, in fact, developed that skill as a parent. So the act of perceiving or discerning something, you know, have you done that with your dog or your cat or your pet snake or a wild animal or another human individual. Have you ever had a discerning moment? And to wrap all that together, what I believe I'll talk about next episode is almost a culmination of these last three of intuition, instinct, and insight. What's your imagination like? How often do you sit down and try to imagine things or how, you know, have you ever looked at your dreams and, you know, what they might mean, some divination there? But what's your imagination look like? And remember that I, I don't classify imagination in the creative sense or the, the maker or creator realm. What is your active simulation? Do you simulate things much easier in some regards than others? Are you able to... F- to hash out the rational and reasonable sense of things very easily? Or are you able to figure out how nice this space would look if it just had these colors involved or how a group of flowers may arrange themselves to fit a certain scene or ambiance. And to that degree, maybe it's musical by nature because as I talked about way back in the beginning of this podcast, how the things we surround ourselves with or the the actions and skills we have come from this depression of ours. This idea of imagination, I believe, is a great way to better understand the way in which our mind works. And if we can understand that, we can start to understand these translations between the other and the physical. What is our physical body telling us? How do we express ourselves? What is the other telling us and how do we better express what that might look like? In fact, this is what makes an amazing teacher. A teacher, a a true teacher, is someone who can remove themselves from themselves and understand the mind of the individual they're trying to get a point across to. So they might use experiences that they better understand. Maybe this person is a visual learner or an audio learner, learner or a tactile learner, those types of things. So what does your imagination tell you about yourself? What simulations are you running? Are you, you know hearing the other person on, are you hearing the person on the other side of the phone and picturing what they're wearing or where they are or what they're feeling or how is your imagination functioning? What is it telling you? What insights might it be showing you? Those are some questions for you to ponder, maybe meditate on because meditation is the awareness of breath. And one of the things we can do by that is to do pondering meditations Again, meditation, awareness of breath, just being aware of our breathing. You are then meditating, switching over from the, the auto, switching into the autonomous nervous system, specifically switching over from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic, 
And then you can practice different types of meditation. You can practice emptiness meditation or insight meditation, insightfulness meditation. You can practice transcendental meditation. You can practice moving meditation by doing maybe something like yoga or Tai Chi. You can practice artful meditation or, you know, the act of thinking about different artistic natures. Anything can become a meditation. So one of the meditations you can really practice is imaginative meditation or simulation meditation and discerning through insight what that tells you about yourself. So here's a practice I'll leave you with that you might want to try out. You can sit down in a comfortable position. You can lie down. You just want to make sure you're not going to fall asleep. So if you are lying down, just make sure you bend your knees and put your feet flat on the floor or put some sort of bolster or cushion underneath your knees so that they're not, you know, laying flat. Maybe, you know, don't use a pillow if you're lying down. Just let your head, you know, lie on a hard surface to make it not uncomfortable, but Again, not like we're trying to go to bed. Don't worry about sitting in some lotus position or something crazy like that. Those are physical form meditations. Just be comfortable. Start thinking about your breathing, inhaling and exhaling. And what I want you to do is I want you to count every inhale and every exhale as another number in the sequence. And what you're going to try to do is you're going to try to count to 10. This is a very, very, very basic beginner meditation. And so what I want you to do is every time you inhale one, exhale two, inhale three, exhale four, count all the way up to 10. Do that two or three times in a row, just get to 10. And then you can move on. And from there, now that you're being aware of your breathing, remember inhale and exhale, that's all meditation is just being aware of that. I want you to imagine a limb of your body falling asleep. Whatever that looks like in your head, if that's relaxation of, you know, the physical form, or if that's, you know, literally your hand lying on a pillow and sleeping, don't care. Pick one body part, a leg or an arm, whichever one you're comfortable with, and start at the very end, what we know as uh, the distal end, or distal is the, the anatomy term for farthest away. And then work actually work towards the body. And what you're going to do is if you let's use your hand as an example, we're going to picture the fingertips relaxing and falling asleep. We're going to think, we're going to think about if I was using anatomy terms, we'd have the dips, the, the distal interphalangeal, the medial interphalangeal, we're, but start at the tips of the fingers and then down to the base of the fingers and then the palm itself. And then we would do the forearm and then we do the elbow and then we do the bicep and the tricep and the deltoid, but the, you know, the upper arm into the shoulder. And I want you to try to relax that as much as possible and try to get that to fall asleep. But you're going to use your imagination on that. That's what your imagination is doing. It's simulating what this would feel like if it was falling asleep. And that is a singular focus meditation. It's one of the first meditations of Zen practice, actually. But it all has to do with just, again, being aware of your breathing and focusing on letting that individual limb, nothing else, we're not focused on anything else, just singularly focusing on imagining that limb relaxing and falling asleep from the tips of the fingers or the tips of the toes in towards the trunk of the body. That's the imaginative practice I would like to leave you with so that you can gain some insight in what relaxation truly feels like. And I'll catch you on the next one where I believe we're going to talk about imagination. We're going to really dive into what this whole imagination thing is and how it's a practice of spirituality. So again, leaving you with insight on this one and the insights that might be gained through 
meditation. You don't have to do that specific meditation I mentioned, but that's a good one to work with. The power or act of seeing into a situation. See into yourself. What is the situation of you? Try looking at that. Head over to the archive at taminghindrances.com slash archive. Check out uh, the link to Jenny Moonstone, jennyconstantine.com. Maybe set up a tarot reading if that's something you're interested in. Check out Primal Astrology. I mentioned that in the last episode. Um, No affiliation there, which I was, but same with Jenny. Um, Check out Primal Astrology for looking at, you know, what your astrological signs might say about you. Maybe head over to tarot.com and, you know, do a free tarot reading or or maybe, you know, if it's cheap or you can find a, a free tarot deck, check it out, read into it. All of these divination processes that might give you a better understanding of what's going on in the world around you. And I'll be here on the next one where we talk about imagination. Take care and I will see you then. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. Now go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.